Welcome to Sunny in Seattle with your host, Sunny Joy. And coming up on today's show, The Way of the Rose, the radical path of the divine feminine hidden in the rosary. The authors, former Zen Buddhist monk Clark Strand and his wife, Perdita Finn. So tune in and hear not only the story on how they came to the rosary, but the life-changing revelations of the lady herself. And now we welcome your host for the day, Sunny Joy. And good morning, everyone. Welcome to Sunny in Seattle. I'm your host, Sunny Joy McMillan. And we're here every Friday from 9 to 10 a.m. on Alternative Talk, 1150 a.m. KKNW in Seattle, as well as 103.3 KPCA in Petaluma, bringing you amazing guests and resources that will help you create a life filled with peace, joy, freedom, and purpose. It is radio that positively shines. And if you can't catch the show live, you can always access those show archives. Those are found at 50kknw.com. You can also find the show on iTunes and Podcast One. And just a quick disclaimer for our Petaluma folks that the views expressed here are not necessarily the views of Petaluma Community Access, KPCA Radio, or its board of directors, volunteer staff, or underwriters. And as our quick housekeeping, my website is goldenoversoul.com. That is goldenoversoul.com. Um, Benny, how are you doing? I know I slid in pretty quickly here. To the you did. Show. You had me a little worried, but that's okay. The show is well underway, and I'm excited for today. Well, me too. And I have to tell you two things Mm -hmm. since picking up this book and in the last 24 hours, um, two things have happened that I personally attribute to, um, I think the, the power of the rosary that has been in my Mm. life now for just a few days. Um, and I, I, I will share one of those stories here in just a few moments, but as I was sitting here, um, as, as listeners know, you know, I'm on this road trip adventure and, um, I had found this perfect spot for Wi-Fi, and um, and it was not marked no parking. Um, and so I was kind of setting up shop and we had two minutes to go. And a guy drives by in a golf cart and I flag him and I say, hey, you know, I've got a live radio show. The Internet's good here. May I stay parked here? And he said, no, you may not. <laughs> so I did a little last minute scramble. So anyway, keeping things uh, interesting uh, on the live airwaves. Here. It's all good. At least you didn't you'd be like, don't you know who I am? Don't you know I have the biggest show in Seattle? Don't uh, yeah. you know? No, you're yeah. better than I you know. You know that's how I roll. Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> hey, well, I appreciate you, you, you going around and making it uh, helpful for us and useful. Well, in any event, I'm glad. And I, I really do. That was one of those last minute little synchronicities that thank goodness I found that out before we went live um, rather than while we were in the middle of the show. It's perfect. Um, because I'm really excited about the material um, that we'll be talking about here today. Um, so uh, as Vinny mentioned in our intro, um, we have today with us Clark Strand and Perdita Finn. Um, they are co-founders of The Way of the Rose an inclusive fellowship of rosary friends dedicated to the earth and to the lady by any name we wish to call her. Strand is the author of numerous books and articles on spiritual practices, including Seeds from a Birch Tree, Writing Haiku and the Spiritual Journey and Waking Up to the Dark, Ancient for a Sleepless Age, and Finn is co-author with Susan Saxman of The Reluctant Psychic and the author of the forthcoming book, Take Back the Magic, Getting to Know the Dead. Finn teaches workshops on collaborating with our ancestors, and Strand is a full-time poet and teacher of haiku. They live in the Catskill Mountains. 
to find out more about everything we'll be talking about here today, as well as how to join one of their uh, uh, Way of the Rose fellowship circles, um, you can visit wayoftherose.org and make sure you know it's .org, not .com. So wayoftherose.org. Um, so Clark and Perdita, welcome to Sunny in Seattle. Hi, Sunny. It's Hi, great Sunny. to meet you. Yeah, glad to be here. Yes, you as well. Um, I, I, I always love the folks who I get to interview and their work, um, but I have to say this is one of those standout books. Um, uh, and I usually wait to read a book until, you know, I, the, we've got the interview secured so that I'm really fresh with the material. So I've been able to um, read the book in the last week and oh my goodness, um, <laughs> it's, it is pretty life-changing and it's one of those um, opportunities with a guest where I want to take the work deeper after the conclusion of the interview. So I really thank you um, for what you are putting out into the world with the way of the rose. Thank you so much. Um, what, what is your spiritual background, Sonny? I want to just point out for anybody who's listening that Clark and I aren't Catholic and that this is not a Catholic book. We have a lot of uh, Catholic and ex-Catholic members of our community, but it's a radically inclusive approach to one of the oldest spiritual traditions in the world. Yes, and I really appreciate you prefacing our conversation with that because um, for me personally, um, having grown up in a, in a really, my parents really bristle when I say fundamentalist Christian um, environment. They are very curious, open people, but um, I grew up in a very small town in Texas. And so it was a very particular brand of Christianity that was um, taught. Um, and I will say there was, um, there weren't a lot of Catholic uh, churches or I didn't have any Catholic friends really. Um, and, and being a very um, Southern Protestant, there was uh, there were a lot of misunderstandings, I think, about Catholicism. Um, and so I don't have I didn't have a really a working knowledge of it. But um, in any event, to answer your question, it was a very conservative Christian upbringing. Um, and that did not it was kind of like a piece of clothing, clothing that didn't fit. I kept trying to wear it. And finally, when I got, you know, to be an adult and my horizons opened a little bit and I was able to learn about other faiths and then, of course, spiritual traditions that transcend everything, um, I have a pretty broad spirituality now. Um, but definitely, I felt like what I grew up with was not big enough to encompass what was actually happening in the cosmos. And so, the way that you all bring this this ancient devotion to life in this book, whoo, it gives me something. It feels like coming home, and I'm like, oh, this is the way it was meant to be done, not the way necessarily <laughs> that I'd heard about for so many years. Yeah. Well, that was what it was like for us. I yeah. think we were we were we were spiritual seekers for a long time. And, you know, we, we've tried on a lot of different spiritual clothes <laughs> over the years. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was raised uh, Southern Protestant, too, and there, there wasn't much, you know, Catholicism to be seen in the little uh, towns I grew up in, in Arkansas and Tennessee and Georgia. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I pretty much rejected all that when I was a teenager and embraced Buddhism and pursued that path for a long time. It wasn't until 10 years ago, really, that... Uh, uh, that both of our lives changed really radically. We, we began uh, praying the rosary together and uh, spreading the word about it. But we'd been looking, we'd both been searching for a long time for a spiritual response to the climate catastrophes that are 
really making themselves known this summer all around the world, but have been imminent for a long time. And, and those questions, those urgent questions were parents of two 20 year olds who are themselves asking very profound questions right now, you know, really sent us on deep, deep journeys into the spiritual traditions around the world. And one of the things that's really kind of amazing is that, you know, religion is a pretty modern invention. Um, but human beings have been around for a long time and what they've been doing for tens of thousands, probably hundreds of thousands of years is making beads. <laughs> there have been climate emergencies of all kinds. Uh, 70,000 years ago, a volcano erupted and plunged the whole world into climate catastrophe. And you know what people did? They made beads. Hmm. That was their response to this catastrophic worldwide event. 13,000 years ago, the world gets plunged into an unexpected ice age. What do people do? They make beads. Now, beads are really hard to make out of bone or wood. You know, they take a lot of care. It's very fine, very difficult work. And so one of the questions Clark and I had is, why does every spiritual tradition around the world have a tradition of using beads for prayer and why are beads themselves older than religion what is it about holding on to beads that is so radically comforting yeah you know the bead traditions exist in just about every tradition around the world and uh, one of the things i discovered when i got really fascinated about with the rosary uh, was that uh, it's really a universal practice the term rosary, right, refers to a rose garland, and the term japa mala, which is uh, uh, the uh, Sanskrit word that refers to the, you know, the beads that are used in, in Hinduism and also uh, in Buddhism later, uh, means a muttering garland. And so we have this association between uh, beads and flowers that goes back thousands of years, and uh, most likely, uh, the tradition originated with the idea that you would, in the springtime, offer a garland of flowers to the mother goddess. And this predates religion as we know it today by tens of thousands of years. And speaking of that mother goddess, let's go back to those beads. If any one of our listeners has a bead nearby, and we often have beads on our earrings or beads on our necklaces, a lot of people these days are wearing malas. And there yeah. is something comforting about them. They want to... Um, hold on to a bead and put it, roll it between your thumb and your forefinger. And you will suddenly begin to find a sensation an almost somatic sensation in your body of relaxation. Mm. And that is not coincidental. Yeah. Um, that gesture of holding a small bead between our fingers and, and fidgeting with it, like the original fidget spinner, is the first gesture we make when we come into this world. It's how babies relate to their mother. It's how they get her milk to let down. Mm. And so people made beads because they needed and moments when they felt frightened, worried to hold on to their mother and to mm. know that she was going to feed mm. them, console them and hold them. And in fact, when we make that gesture with beads, if we roll beads between our fingers, there is actually a hormone in our brain that will let down as if we were children nursing at our mother's breasts right. again. Wow. Yeah. yeah. You know, the, uh, 
beads are, are, are primal comfort objects and have been for you know tens of thousands, perhaps even hundreds of thousands of years. They're among the earliest artifacts we have from, from human beings other than like hand axes, right? So uh, this tradition is universal and very, very old. But the, the rosary is like a kind of a umbilical cord that connects us to our own bodies and to the earth, right? Mm -hmm. It's a, a physical tactile object that, uh, that we can hold, we can draw comfort from. And once you begin to say it, it really sort of, you know, self-perpetuating. You just hold a bead, you say a prayer, you move on to the next bead with the next prayer. And uh, it's, it's really a, a pretty foolproof spiritual devotion, right? Anybody can learn it. I always say, you know, give uh, an, your average eight-year-old a diagram and the prayers and a set of beads, and they can teach themselves in under half an hour. Yes. And so then my question would be, because this is so ancient for all the reasons that you've just explained, how did it come to be so associated with Catholicism and Catholicism only these days? Can we go a little Da Vinci Code on you? Oh, you could do Oh, you know, it's all fair game on here. Well, here's the thing. You know, one of the things that's really hard to imagine about the medieval Catholic world is that it was barely Christian. <laughs> Most people didn't read or write, including your local parish priest. Nobody read. There weren't a lot of books. The whole culture was an oral culture. And in that oral culture, people were living in villages. They've done some DNA tests in some towns in England and France. And there are people who've been living in the same villages for 8,000 years. <laughs> and, right? Okay. And they have an oral tradition. And that oral, that ancient oral tradition is a devotion to a mother goddess. A devotion, she has a lot of names in the old stories. Sometimes she's Isis, sometimes she's Diana, sometimes she's Bridget, sometimes she's Freya, sometimes she's Artemis. She has a lot of different names in those early cultures, mm. but she's a mother goddess who births the world with her body. She's the earth, mm. right? Mm. And they're devoted to her and they love her and they trust her to feed them. They trust her to keep them warm. The first spiritual objects, some of you may have seen those Paleolithic goddess figurines. They come in all shapes and sizes, old women's bodies, young women's bodies, but they all are the size that would fit in the palm of your hand to mm -hmm. hold. Mm -hmm. So these people, Christianity arrives and says, there's a new mother goddess and her name is Mary. <laughs> and they basically go, okay, so let's cool. <laughs> So let's look at how that let's look at how that happened. There's a very, very famous legend that gets told all over Europe starting around the 11th century. And it catches on like wildfire because it's 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 a kind of a it's both a story and a kind of an instruction manual for saying the rosary. And you know, it has different very slight variations between one language and another, but the bones of it are always the same. A young man has a ardent devotion to the Virgin Mary, which he expresses every day by weaving a crown of roses and placing it on the head of the statue in his village church, right? Mm -hmm. Now, this is a tradition that goes way back before Christianity, right? They were, you know, before the roses were Mary's flower, they were Isis's flower, before Isis, Inanna, Aphrodite. It goes back thousands of years. So this is a very, very ancient tradition in his village you know, now there's the statue of the Virgin Mary. And so she's the, you know, the local goddess who gets crowned. So he decides on the basis of this devotion, he wants to become a monk. 
with the idea that, oh, now I get to spend all the time with the lady. So mm -hmm. he goes to the monastery, becomes a monk, and suddenly he's forbidden to observe this old pagan custom. And so he decides to leave because mm -hmm. he can't stand it, right? Because yeah. his devotion is to the lady. And so he stops at the chapel in the monastery and to pay his leave of Our Lady. And the statue comes to life and says, don't leave and I will teach you to transform your prayers, right? To, to weave me a crown of roses basically with your prayers. So she teaches him to say the Hail Mary. And so that's the legend about how the rosary came to be. So he starts praying instead of prayers, actual roses come out of his mouth, right? Yeah. This was the most universal popular story of the high middle ages about the Virgin Mary. So what's happened here is that you've taken this very, very ancient uh, tradition going back thousands of years and it's become updated, it's become associated with bees and now it's the rosary. Mm -hmm. It's the same lady called by a different name and even the, the ancient mysteries are still in place. And one of the things that's sort of fascinating is the original rosary communities in the Middle Ages, this is a very popular practice and they were called rosary confraternities. They didn't cost any money. Anyone could join, including women and men. So they were egalitarian, poor, rich. Everybody was getting together to pray the rosary. And, you know, sometimes people will, when you tell them you pray the rosary, they go, wow, that's a real little old lady thing to be doing. It's definitely <laughs> not cool, right? Yeah, I mean, it is so not cool. <laughs> but I want to talk about those little old ladies because I love them. And they held on to great magic. Those ladies knew how to pray people better when they were sick, right? Mm -hmm. They had stood, my, my father, a doctor once, uh, I grew up in a very bohemian atheist family, but my father was an ex-Catholic and he would joke about his mother, like gathering the children around to pray the rosary when his sister had pneumonia to keep her alive. Like that was yeah. superstitious. Well, his mother had no antibiotics. It was the depression. She had no money. And that daughter they prayed for is still alive at 94. So yeah. <laughs> the rosary doesn't work. Those they knew they knew that you the rosary, they they didn't have money, they didn't have medicine, mm. they didn't have communication. Mm. But they had a lot of verbal they had the rosary. Yeah, they had a lot of verbal lore, a lot of folklore, a lot of folk tales, a great deal of folk uh, wisdom. And really, the rosary is like our daughter describes it sometimes as a, a stowaway in the whole of the Catholic Church. Yes. Okay? Like it gets passed down by popes and priests who have no idea what it really is, right? Like, mm -hmm. for instance, here's, here's just one of the most obvious tells, right? There are all kinds of secrets just hidden in plain view on the rosary. And we reveal a lot of them in our book, yeah. as you know. But here's one. Anybody who's got a rosary at home or just knows the familiar shape of a rosary, okay? If you have a rosary at home, you hold it up so that the beads form a circle and the cross is dangling down. Look at that. And take that in. What you're looking at is one of the most ancient symbols in the world. If you, if you loosen the circle a little bit so that it dangles, it forms the shape of the Ankh, the ancient Egyptian hieroglyph for life that's most closely associated with the goddess Isis, right? right? So it's a symbol of the goddess. 
if you make it into a, a perfectly round circle with a cross dangling down, it becomes the symbol for Venus and the gender sign for woman, right? Yes. So the rosary itself is a physical object, is an embodiment of the divine feminine. And you're holding on to that environment. This is, this is not, this is a somatic devotion. And it really can, it reorganizes us to feeling held, connected, literally woven together with other with others in prayer and um you know it it feels good to hold a lot of times when people are st first starting to pray the rosary they say well all i can do is just hold the beads and that's it that's like a handful of magic beans in your pocket yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah yes well and and so knowing then um how it came to be associated with catholicism then the question i'm borrowing this question from a sentence in the book how does an ex-Buddhist monk who isn't a Catholic and no longer even considers himself nominally a Christian end up praying the rosary? Well, how much do you want to know, son? <laughs> I mean, I, I could stay on for hours, but we have, what, 30 minutes left? And if while I have you here, are you well, going to go our break? Yeah, as, as we say in the book, it wouldn't have happened under the ordinary circumstances, but these are not ordinary circumstances. <laughs> I had been, uh, you know, I'd been a Zen Buddhist monk. I left that uh, in 1990, and I embarked on a uh, restless, driven, obsessive quest to see if there was some kind of a spiritual solution to climate change. My, my brother is an uh, evolutionary biologist and a population geneticist, and he was telling me even then that we were headed for some very, very dicey times. So, you know, Perdita and I were some of the earliest people on climate.org, right, researching and thinking about climate change in the 90s. And uh, so I looked everywhere and, I, you know, I, I sort of started reevaluating every religion based on whether it had some kind of wisdom or answer to this question. And, and most texts and most religions, most teachers had nothing to say. They're like holding no, no cards. But uh, so I was looking and searching. This culminated about 10 years ago uh, in the summer, and uh, I've been getting up to walk in the middle of the night all my life, right? It's just a habit. I wrote a whole book about it, Waking Up to the Dark. I'll wake up after four hours of sleep, walk for an hour or so, and, and go back to bed. I got up one night. I'm just going to interrupt you for one minute to say that Clark began to intuit that there was something about darkness and the nighttime, that there, there was something hidden in the dark, yeah, as it were. Yeah, yeah. So literally uh, something or someone hidden in the dark. And I got up one night to go for my usual walk, and I, I, I felt a, a hand on my shoulder. And a voice, a man's voice, uh, said, don't go out tonight. Uh, remain inside and be very, very still. Which is, you know, having been trained as a Zen monk was something I knew how to do. So I positioned myself on the couch and I basically meditated. I closed my eyes and this went on for about 45 minutes. And I suddenly felt that a presence in the room, you know, how you, that feeling of being looked at or stared at, right? Yeah. I opened my eyes and there were uh, two reed stalks blowing in front of me as if in, you know, in the middle of a marsh, right? The rest of the house had just disappeared. And they slowly vanished in their place was the face of a uh, young girl, about 17 years old. She had close cropped auburn hair, hazel eyes, a few freckles around her nose. And over her mouth was an X of black electrical tape. Mm. 
And I took one look at this and, you know, the Zen part of my brain, you know, I've been trained to ignore these things. My Japanese <laughs> Zen teacher always said, this is called makio or illusion. And if you just stare it down, it'll go away. <laughs> I, I, so I, I began the staring match that lasted all of about three seconds. And I thought, oh, the Zen masters were wrong. <laughs> <laughs> And, and all I knew, I didn't know who she was. I didn't know what was happening. Never had an experience like this before. There was not one book in my vast library of spiritual texts about the goddess or the divine feminine. I just knew the tape had to come off. And so I reached out and I pulled it off as gently and carefully as I could. And she let out this gasp that sounded like the, you know, the sound of a crypt being unsealed after thousands of years. And I started to ask her the obvious question, who she was, but she shook her head, nothing could be said. Mm. But after that night, she was always present, always there. And later that summer, uh, she woke me in the middle of the night and said, if you rise uh, to say the rosary tonight, a column of saints will support your prayer. Mm. And I've been secretly kind of afraid that it might be the Virgin Mary. And I'm not Catholic, had no desire to become a Catholic. And I thought, oh my God, now I've got to go to a bishop or something like that. I've got to, I've got to behave like a Portuguese peasant girl or something. And I don't know how to do that, right? I don't have, I don't have that skill set. I'm a writer, a researcher. Surely you can't be asking me to do something like this, right? But, you know, and later I told people, well, okay, I'm not Catholic, but I'm also not stupid. There's only one figure who invites you to pray the rosary <laughs> and makes promises based on whether or not you accept the invitation. And that's the Virgin Mary. So that's when I knew. And one of the things that's so interesting, Sonny, about this is that was in August, um, the Feast of the Coronation, which we didn't know at that time. We were on vacation as a family and we walked in the next morning. Clark has told me this. And I'm a little agnostic about all of this up till now. <laughs> I mean, I have to be honest, you know, <laughs> <laughs> um, we walk into this little used bookstore in this tourist town that's, you know, got mystery novels and, you know, the beach, Da Vinci Code. Yeah, and yeah. beach reads, you know, to pick yeah. up some beach reading. And there out on a desk in the middle of the book, this tiny bookstore is a blue paperback that says Queen of the Cosmos interviews with the visionaries of Medjugorje, which is a famous apparition site in Croatia. And Clark and I pick up the book and we open it. To a page at, at random. And the question is, does the lady ask everyone to pray the rosary regardless of their religion? And the answer is yes. She invites everyone to pray the rosary regardless of their belief, their religion, or anything, right? Universal request. And that was a real moment um, of realizing that you know, her message is always the same when she appears, and she appears in, with a lot of different flavors, you know. One of the things Clark and I were struck by, we went on a book tour just before COVID all around the country, and we began by asking people, how many of you have had a direct experience of the lady? And almost all the ones in the room would go up. Yeah, every time. It was amazing. And wow. we heard most incredible stories. Oh, beautiful. Just incredible stories. And, and not everybody, I, I, I don't see her or hear her like that, but we've all had that moment where we knew 
she was present or yeah. calling to us. I'm tempted to ask you, but I won't put you on the spot. <laughs> oh, no, I don't mind being put on the spot. Um, and actually, on that note, I'm, may I just share a story in the last 24 hours that I think is kind of a testament to what you're talking about here? Um, because what I know noticed in the book is when you responded to that invitation, ultimately, um, I, I don't want to say magic is in fake, but mystical, magical things begin to happen in your life and those of the lives that you love. Um, and so I can see the power in this. And so here we are, we're, um, we're currently in Leavenworth, Washington, making our way back into the Pacific Northwest to visit family and friends. Um, and I'm reading this book and I'm thinking uh, after reading, and I don't know, Clark, if you end up sharing this story or not, but how the, the absolute synchronicity of how you picked up that rosary and the flea market initially. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I was so inspired by that. And I thought, you know what, I'm just going to do a quick Google search, see what kind of secondhand stores there are around here. So we go walking into town yesterday and um, I tell Chase, my partner, that I would really like to find a rosary. And he kind of gives me a look pretty to kind of sounds like when you <laughs> say you're largely agnostic. <laughs> he knows my feelings about institutionalized religion. But anyway, I told him about the book and he's fascinated now too. In any event, um, I walk through a few stores and I'm not finding one and I'm a little discouraged. And Chase points to this little tiny store that's kind of tucked away in this kind of underneath a building. And sure enough, the sweet little old lady that runs it had two rosaries, one of which had a picture of the Pope on it. I did not want that one, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but I needed one that was more Mary focused than Pope focused. So yeah. I chose the only one that really fit the bill. Um, and so then we go on about our way. We make more stops. We're stopping at restaurants and little breweries and all these things. And then we get to the end of our evening and uh, Chase looks at me and goes, where are my sunglasses that you borrowed earlier today? And I say, oh, Chase, oh my gosh, I don't know what I've done with them. I, I have a terrible habit of losing things. So we start retracing our steps in our mind and I go, I know where it was. It was where I got the rosary. So we go racing back <laughs> over there because by this point, it's like 7 p.m. after most of the little shops have closed. And I look in the parking lot and I see the lady who runs the shop. And I ran over to her and I said, I don't know if you'll remember me because we were wearing masks, but I was in the shop earlier and she looked at me and she goes, did you leave some sunglasses? And I said, <laughs> yes, I did. And she said, you know, it's the darndest thing. I closed the shop and I went all the way home. And then I remembered I'd forgotten something, came back to look for it and I didn't find it. And I was really frustrated. I'm so glad you showed up because it sure makes my trip back into town worthwhile. So, <laughs> oh, that's yeah, it just was one of those crazy serendipitous moments. And I thought, okay, this has to do with the rosary. Like, this is too it serendipitous. It totally does. And you know what it is? It's, it's, it's finding ourselves in sync with the cosmos. Yeah. Yes. And we're suddenly being woven together with people yeah. we could never have imagined. You know, the rosary, it's like it recalibrates our, our consciousness. I don't know how much your readers know about the rosary, but they're basically two prayers, the Our Father and the Hail Mary. There are 10 Hail Marys to one Our Father, so that's 10 to 1 ratio, so you know whose, you know, prayer of the rosary is, basically it's Our Lady's prayer, but saying uh, it in that rhythm, right, the Our Father is sort of like, you know, is a very conscious sort of intentional prayer, the Hail Mary is a very deep prayer of a mantra, uh, it's the oldest, mantra. it's one of the most popular mantras yeah. in the world, and, and, you know, one of the things that's fascinating about the Hail Mary is, um, there's secrets hidden in it too, which is, you know, it's not, it seems like one of the most Catholic prayers in the world, right? Yeah. 
And it is actually a devotion to the triple goddess that these old European medieval grandmothers, they were told that the Trinity was no longer what they had always believed it to be, which yeah. was the moon. The moon was the Trinity. Yeah. You had the new moon, the, you know, you had the mm -hmm. crescent moon was the maiden moon, the full moon was the mother moon, and then the dark moon was the moon, the crone moon. And that yeah. they 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 timed their lives by those moons. And that trip that that triple goddess moon was their devotion. And they hid their devotion to the triple goddess in the Hail Mary. You want to unpack that? Sure. <laughs> yeah, please. <laughs> <laughs> so it arises orally. It's not written by priests and dictated up from on high to the people. It, it's like a, a fairy tale that arises. Everyone starts saying yeah, it yeah. and everyone starts saying it in a particular way. And the first part of the prayer is like any mantra, whether you go to your yoga studio or wherever, you always invoke the deity you want to have. You're calling on them. You're summoning them like, hey, over here, <laughs> you know, <laughs> whether you're in Shiva or Kali or the Mary. So Hail Mary you know just so we clear we're doing and this is hail mary full of grace thy lord is with thee well that seems very just christian and devotional except you've called the goddess and you've called the god and what you've really done is you're enacting something called the heroes gamos the sacred marriage yeah of lord and lady moon and sun yeah. a divine god and goddess who are going to come together to create the world. Yeah, the sexual union of, of, of a male and female divinity, right? Uh, of these two forces of yin and yang. And in fact, uh, they, and, the... And, they, and the people who first said this prayer, they knew that. Because that yeah. they lived in that yeah. world. They lived in yeah. an earthy, close to nature yeah. world. That's how things got going. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they believed that, the, that, that the, those first few words of the Hail Mary Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. They believe that those words marked the actual moment of conception of Jesus, right? Mm. And so uh, really, it's uh, it, it's like a, a tantric prayer. That if you've time. ever seen those tantric Yavion pictures in Tibetan mandalas, you know, the God and Goddess in Congress, I mean, that's what you're doing at that mm -hmm. moment. You're invoking that sort of yeah. sexual union. And that so that's the maiden, right? The maiden having a very good time. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I often say a hail maiden full of graces thy beloved is with thee then mm. blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb that's the mother that's that full moon that's the mother whose womb contains everything you know it's the black you know dark matter most of the universe is dark matter stars are born from dark matter we're everything is born from this womb this fertile womb of mm. the universe and then the final third of the Hail Mary, it just popular devotion is Holy Mary, full of grace. No, no, Hail Mary, full of grace. Holy Mary, mother of all, pray for us now and at the hour of our death. And so you go from the creation of life to the death. So the, the prayer takes you. From the, from the womb to, to the, the tomb. tomb. Yeah. And you're rehearsing. I mean, a, a, a psychic I'm very friends with, we got to know actually through the way of the rose, says that, you know, whenever we're dying, all of our mothers from all of our lives appear to welcome us home. Mm. And so, we are we are rehearsing that moment. So just by way of summary, then the three parts of the prayer, the maiden, the mother, and the crone. So the triple goddess, right, of of uh 
pre-Christian pre-Christian Europe, right, is enshrined within this prayer, hidden in plain view. Again, popes, priests, very pious people have passed this prayer down for a thousand years, but there's a lot hidden in plain view inside of it. And sometimes we have a lot of wonderful young witches from uh, the Pacific Northwest who come and join Way of the Rose. The herbalists and Buddhists. <laughs> and I and, often say know, to them, everyone. do you know what the difference is between a spell and a prayer? Hmm. Good question. Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> it's a trick question. <laughs> <laughs> What happened is when you had the Reformation in Europe, all of these old prayers, all of these old mantras, and people said it like a mantra because they said it in Latin and they didn't speak Latin. So for them, it was just like going to the yoga studio and saying a mantra in Sanskrit. Do you know what I mean? Right. Yeah, yeah. It, it was the sound. And the, they call them the potters, which is the fathers, the Our Father, and the modders, which is the whole Mary. And so the Reformation came in and it banished these Latin modders and potters as spell work. Yeah. Mm. And there was often, there's, I'm reading an incredibly boring, but interesting book, like, like there, there was in the Middle Ages, you know, you say three Hail Marys when you have a sick goat. If you've got a sick cow, however, it's 10 Hail Marys, <laughs> right. you know? Uh, uh, but it was, it was also just ubiquitous. It was such a part of people's consciousness. If you go back and look at medieval cookbooks, for instance, it'll say, stir for the duration of three Hail Marys, okay? Oh, my it'll goodness. It'll say, let, let sit for 12, right? And because it was the way people told time, they would say, I'll be back in an Ave, right? Meaning an Ave Maria. So, like, I'll, I'm just stepping away for a moment. I'll be right back is what that meant. Yeah. So it was, it was very much a part of people's consciousness. It was part of their experience of time. They were stopping three times a day, even when they were working in the field, to recite the Angelus, which consists of certain prayers and, and verses of scriptures and the Hail Mary. So it is an ancient, ancient devotion. And yet, when you were invited to start praying a rosary, what came forward and not just you praying the rosary, but the messages that started to come through from Our Lady, Our Lady of Woodstock for you, um, were very alive, very relevant, very applicable to exactly where we are at this moment in human history. So can you tell us a little bit about what started happening? Well, you know, I was agnostic when this first began. Uh, we had a, a very sick child, as we write about in the book. And so as a mother with a very sick teenage daughter, I was pretty distracted. And, you know, my, my feeling when Clark first told me about all this was, oh, no, I don't think I've got the bandwidth for this. <laughs> snap it, snap, <laughs> snap out, out of it. Maybe, I think what, maybe, what you might have actually you know, said. <laughs> not this. Um, and yet I was devoted to the rosary and I'd actually been devoted to the rosary for a long time. I'd, I'd, I'd converted briefly to Catholicism in college, which is the religion of my ancestors. It lasted about 20 minutes. Um, <laughs> and then I had become a Buddhist and then I'd left that and I was a young mother. And I was been looking for a practice that I could do as a mother and the rosary was wonderful because I could put the children to bed with it. I could do it while I was cooking. I could do it in stands at the swim it's a very meets. Affordable prayer. It's yeah. a very, it's a mother's prayer. You can, it, it's designed for counting so you can stop and start. You don't have to go off on a fancy retreat. It doesn't cost any money. And it's made for doing in the midst of a very busy motherly life. No. So I couldn't believe that Clark was praying the rosary. You were thankful for that, at least. I was very thankful. Yeah. <laughs> and then it turned out Clark had all these friends who'd been getting together for a group on kind of ecological 
an ecological think tank spiritual group, a lot of people from Occupy Wall Street and, you know, what next kind of, and uh, they all started praying the rosary. They were Buddhist, Jewish, Christians, nothing. Everybody I knew started praying the rosary and I would just mention that and they'd say, oh, I think I want to do that. You know, it's really sort of shocking. It was shocking how many people wanted, had been waiting for someone to give them permission to pray the rosary without being Catholic. And how many Catholics who'd left the institution who missed the lady with all their heart. Mm. Yeah, that's right. It's exactly right. So it, it was kind of the, the biggest miracle has been friendship. Mm-hmm. Um, I to pay the bills in those years. I was writing uh, books about My Little Pony, and uh, the the tagline of My Little Pony is "Friendship is magic," <laughs> <laughs> and that was kind of our experience. Sunny, the lady has a lot of messages, but what she really has is friends. Yeah. She want she she's given us rosary friends mm-hmm. all over the world. Mm-hmm. I was on a meeting last night. We have about uh, five to 10 meetings a day. We offer on Zoom and phone and in person. In person, there are a lot more meetings, but um, there were people from Australia, Japan, England, all across Canada and America and South America, all meeting together to share a devotion to the lady outside of religion. Um, Clark and I, the group we founded, we say there's no property, no money involved. There's absolutely no money involved. We modeled ourselves on these medieval confraternities. Everyone is welcome. There are no requirements. There are no dues. There are no building funds. There are no priests involved. There are no hierarchies, no lineages of power, old timers, newcomers. Circles of friendship, not hierarchies of power. Is our motto. And for people getting together to pray for their heart's desire and to claim what they really want from life. And that's been her message, has been... To center ourselves and our heart's desire. And let's talk about that for a second because there, there are many messages, and uh, you know, your listeners can find those very easily just by going to wayoftherose.org, and all of our ladies' messages are, uh, are, are there on the website. You can read them. But the, the, the sort of core message is that it's what she often says in her apparitions uh, since, you know beginning around 1830, when she began to appear much more frequently than she had in the past. Uh, She says, hard times are coming. Get centered. Trust me. Hold on. Don't let go. Pray for your heart's desire. Now, that last piece you know, we get, we're so used to praying for world peace or for causes. We're, we're used to smothering our own heart's desires under a, a, a bucket load of good, you know, very wholesome causes, world peace, you know, uh, you know, into racism, that many, many good causes. What Our Lady invites us to do is to become centered in our own heart's desire, because that's the only protection against a culture that wants to tell you what to value and what to believe and what mm. to buy and what to think and how to live every aspect of your life. And we have really, we've become as modern people very, very, we, we've lost our resistance to that, you know, the power of great institutions, whether they be national or religious or corporate. And the only way to sort of fight back against that is to know what we ourselves most deeply and truly want what will truly make us happy and what you find at meetings when people come what do people want 
first of all, they're often very scared to take the tape off their mouths. Yeah. Mm. They speak their truth. It's very scary, particularly yeah. for women, yeah. you know, who've, who've often been serving everybody else. What do I want? What do people want? They want love. They want healing. They want connection. They, they want, want friendship. friendship. They, they want, want meaningful work, not just remunerative work, but work that matters. And what's amazing is when people begin to get what they want, one person prays to meet their soulmate and their prayer is answered. And then suddenly everyone is praying that. I mean, I saw this with this woman who finally found the courage to pray for love. You know, she was 45. She'd never been in a long-term relationship. She was the director of a huge mental health organization. Suddenly she had a loving partner and what she could do in her work that she couldn't do before was unbelievable, mm -hmm. right? Because okay. she was, and, and that's what happens. What does the lady want for us? She said, I'm going to guide you through your joy, through your, through your desires. I, I just like to share, you talk about her messages. The messages are what convinced me that what Clark was experiencing was real. I mean, I know him. I've know, we've been married all day. We're going to have our 30th wedding anniversary this year. Nice. <laughs> but She's I, also my editor. I know what he can say <laughs> and what he can't say. <laughs> or, or like our daughter says, dad's just not that kind of smart. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, the first thing she said about the rosary, her first teaching is so comforting. She said, the rosary is my body. My body is the body of the earth. Your body is one with that body. What cause could there be for fear? Yeah, that was her first, her first utterance about the rosary. First thing she said. And what does it feel like to feel her holding us and to be relieved mm -hmm. at this moment? What's everything, think about everything that's going on in the world to be relieved of fear. And it's sort of like being a child in a parking lot with all the traffic going every way. And suddenly you realize your mother's holding your hand. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that, the, you know, that first thing she said about the rosary, really her first teaching on the rosary, she said uh, that that, you know, is, is the essence of everything she has to say. And if you think about it, what it says is, it says the rosary is my body. Right. So when you're holding the rosary, you're holding a mother, you're holding on, you're actually making physical contact, direct physical, intimate contact with with the great mother. The rosary is my body and my body is the body of the world. Right. So you're it's not just that you're connecting with this mother goddess, you're connecting with all that is right. You're connecting with the earth itself. OK, yes. So my, uh, my body, uh, the rosary is my body and my body is the body of the world. Your body is one with that body. What cause could there be for fear? So it's like this, this, this feeling of profound comfort and, and stability and um, a, a feeling of holding and being held in the same moment, right? It's logically sort of hard to figure out, but the thing you're holding is holding you, right? The yeah. thing that we hold on to is holding on to us. And it's a very, very powerful thing. And so much of our lives, we were manipulated by fear. And this is the antidote to that. I felt that in reading it, which is why I went out and we got the, the rosary <laughs> that I could find here in Leavenworth. There was this in reading, well, I'll just say for, for listeners, um, if uh, the, the book is The Way of the Rose, if you are interested in participating in one of these circles that um, 
um, that uh, Perdita and Clark have spoken of today. Um, you can find out more about those uh, messages from Our Lady and information about the book. The website is wayoftherose.org. That's wayoftherose.org. Um, and, and so the structure of the book, of course, you all, it's, it's 59 chapters, which is to correspond to the 59 beads on the rosary, correct? And uh, each of the chapters, some of them are personal stories of your own experience with it. Some are commentaries, but most of the chapters conclude with a, uh, a, an excerpt or a message from Our Lady. And then the final part of the book, there are just longer messages from her. My whole point in sharing all of the structure is when I read those messages, particularly the ones that ended the chapters, it just, there was such profound relief that I was brought to tears on several occasions. Um, this trip we've been on is a bit of an adventure, but it sometimes feels rather groundless. And there was this rooting in the 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 the, the cosmic mother, the earth mother, the the mother. It's like, oh, there's the comfort I have been needing for some time now. So I, oh, it's just it was such a, a relief. I think is the thing that the 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 emotion that best characterizes my experience in finding or the, your work finding me and in reading this book. Sonny, that just makes me so happy yeah, to hear that. Yeah, we'd love that. to hear that. <laughs> yeah. Because what people who feel that relief can do, you know, she's she's ready to play with us. Yeah. And have fun with us. And collaborate. That's what Clark and I have experienced and we've seen. We also want to point out we have a Facebook group that's very unlike anything else on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> a, lot, a lot of people only belong to Facebook so that they can belong to our Way of the Rose group. It's a wild, lively forest garden of friends coming to share their devotion to the Lady in the Earth. Yeah. And it's one of the things is it's so celebratory and, and there are people doing very serious work, but also trusting her to, it's a relief not to have to be in charge. <laughs> you know, it really is a relief. <laughs> And, and we have no leaders. We just, you know, it's just a circle of friends all supporting one another. You know, people volunteer to like chair a Zoom meeting or a phone meeting. And, you know, uh, everybody just sort of pitches in. People constantly writing their story, telling their stories. You know, it's just a, it's, it's, it's become a, a real source of inspiration for what I think we're 13,000 13, yeah. 13, people around the world. <laughs> wow. Well, you know, I, I have many more questions in my outline, um, and I think we've got four or five minutes left in the show. Before I dive in to what I still have, I'm just curious, is there anything that we haven't covered today that you feel inspired to share or that we need to, we need to share before we wrap up the show? Well, I think the thing I just want to answer is the question. What was what did Clark and I find in the rosary that answered our question answered our question about climate change? And what we found was that she's in charge, not us. And she's mm. she's gonna get us through this. But it's like children in in if we go back to that parking lot, busy parking lot, we need to hold on to her hand mm. because she knows how to get us through it without a catastrophe right. but she does need us to hold you know if, if, i don't know if you're a mother or not but i've had children you know you know you hold on to my hand tight <laughs> and you don't let go you're listening <laughs> you know <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know and that's her message her message is we're you know we're gonna go to the toy store but you gotta hold on to my hand okay <laughs> you know yes um, and and i think that's it and i mm. think there is 
a lot of people are asking like, what are we supposed to do? You know, am I supposed to recycle? Am I supposed to do this? I'm like, we don't know what to do. We're totally lost. Yeah. But she knows what to do. She does. The earth knows what to do. And the only thing I'll add is that, you know, what did we find in the rosary that, you know, was the, uh, the answer to our questions about climate change? You know, without going into any detail, the, 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 circ the, the rosary structure is circular. It, takes, it tells a circular narrative. The Bible tells a linear narrative that begins in the beginning and ends with the end times and apocalypse, right? And that's sort of the storyline that we are living out as modern homo sapiens. We are living out that biblical storyline, whether you're Christian or Hindu or Jewish, we are trapped in it. And the rosary says that it doesn't end that way. The word rosary ends with the coronation of Our Lady as Queen of Heaven and Earth. And in medieval paintings, she's usually depicted as very young and holding the infant Jesus. And when you finish the rosary, you start over, right, with the Annunciation, the angel arriving to announce the birth. And even that coronation, which is the final mystery of the rosary, the priest came in in the Middle Ages and said to people, you got to turn that into the apocalypse, the last judgment. And they just kind of said, uh, no. No, no. Many, these, these were no. pagan people and they had a circular no. vision of time. And you can, you know, I no. used to, they used to be said of Shakespeare, you can either end with a tragedy or a wedding. Everybody dead or at a wedding. And the rosary ends with a wedding. Yeah. And it's actually from the ancient mystery cults of the Eleusian mysteries, which ended with Dionysus crowning Ariadne right, as queen of heaven on, and earth. I'm going to go on and on. <laughs> the rosary ends with a wedding. And what I want to say about that is let's let's turn the world yeah. into a wedding instead of apocalypse. Yeah, and it, it, it ends where it begins, because when you reach the end of the rosary, you just start over again, right? So it's this circular vision of time where we have, there's all the time in the world because it goes in a circle. There's no beginning and there's no end, right? Yes. Yes. Once with it, basically with a mother in charge of the world, you're in circular time where there's always enough time, always enough love. Ah, yes. And I, that is one of the things, again, that uh, that was really resonated for me is um, just as a reader, there was that wonderful inclusion of all the history. There was the mystery of what happened to you when you began praying the rosary. There is the absolute transformation that can happen in lives and on the planet when people come together to do it. And while she, some of the messages seem very much, you know, get ready, things are about to get wild. I am here, I am holding your hand, and the rosary is the way to really actually tangibly, like you said, somatically feel that. So this book has it all. <laughs> the book and the world thank you. has it all. Thank you <laughs> so, so much. Oh, yeah, thank you. I just was about to say thank you, Perdita and Clark, for coming on the show. This has been one of my favorite conversations, and I look forward to continuing it off the air um, with this work. Please, please. <laughs> and, and please feel free for people to reach out to us. We love that. Yeah. Awesome. And so just to reiterate um, these circles uh, and, and be, becoming part of this fellowship um, and the book, uh, you can find out more. The website is wayoftherose.org. That's wayoftherose.org. You have been listening to Sunny in Seattle. Thank you, Benny in Seattle. Thank you, Jeff in Petaluma for running aboard and i will see everyone next week sunny joy signing off <laughs>